There is a pattern that's set for us, and that pattern is how to live. Everybody thinks they know how to live, but how do you live and follow Jesus Christ? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Him. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. This is a great day as we focus on 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last words of Paul that he ever wrote. Very, very interesting. Corey is here to tell us about that, plus Ryan is talking as well. Corey? Well, today I'm going to be taking a look at the history and archaeology of the city of Ephesus, where the Apostle Paul left Timothy to run the church. Ryan? In today's segment, I want to gain an understanding of Paul's analogy of an Olympian competing for a crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25, which he also alludes to in 2 Timothy 2.5. Very good. Excellent. The next half hour is going to be great as we study this. Plus, Janice, what are you doing? God's grace. God's grace. All right, get your Bible out. Let's open it up and look at what God has said to us. Second Timothy 2, verses 1 through 10. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Second Timothy 1 to 4, you know, this is fascinating as we begin to inch up on the book of Revelation. We're coming to that. And uh, this is amazing what we learn in these passages. And businesses, for example, work to sell their product. Have you noticed that? That's what they're in business for. No matter what the restrictions they have, they are focused on making their product desirable, beneficial, and useful. Well, Christians have something that is naturally beneficial to others. Are we making it desirable and useful by modeling Christ accurately? Some Christian business owners have learned that God has placed them here in this time so that they will demonstrate the work of Jesus Christ in and through their business. The Christian worker has the same focus in their life, making sure that Christ is in their life and the Lord is over their decisions. 
Now, an ineffective, somebody who is not effective as a Christian is one who says they know the Lord, but they do not allow him or his word to have the final say over their lives. But we must take life application seriously. Our job, no matter our profession, is to model Christ so that others can see the real difference that Jesus Christ makes. These principles are highlighted when Paul speaks to Timothy. Now, these are the last words that Paul will ever say from prison. In fact, Timothy is interesting, 2 Timothy, how it closes. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, we'll send you one. One way you can get it is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you so much for your donations. And uh, then you can download them exactly how we, how we have them uh, presented on the screen and presented here. Now, this is interesting because as we look at strength in grace, we need to pray. And Father, we pray today that you would help us teach us your way and show us your, pro your prognosis of the world and how everything goes on. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now look at this. I'm going to spend some time here and focus on this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen carefully. You therefore, my son, that's Timothy, be strong in the grace. I just want you to just sit on that for a minute. Be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, I need to tell you that that's exactly what Paul meant. You see, we are told to dedicate our lives to the pattern Jesus has set for us, beloved. In other words, Christians must be real Christians and follow the Lord every single day. Now, I think it's easy for me to say and for people to understand when I say, show me somebody who says they're a Christian, but they're not really a Christian. Well, that's easy for you to find, isn't it? But what about the Christian who is different? That's what we're in the process of making. That's what we're in the process of doing. That's what we're in the process of discovering for ourselves. Very, very important. We need to learn and understand what God is saying. Let's go back to the scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. One verse here. Listen to this carefully. You therefore must endure hardships, endure hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. A soldier, what? We learn to endure hardship as Jesus Christ did. God's strength is more powerful than anything else. Let me tell you something. I have strength as a man. As I get older, that strength wanes because, I mean, I get older and older and older and older and there'll become a time when my body cannot sustain my spirit anymore. But my spirit is alive and it's revived by the Holy Spirit. My spirit gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But my spirit is too strong for my body and eventually it leaves the body and I'm with Jesus Christ. But when we learn that Jesus Christ strengthens us in spirit and in everyday work that we do for him, not for us, not what we want to do, but what God wants us to do, 
we begin to learn God gives us strength in those times. Now we see this in the life of Jesus Christ. Strength God grants him as he goes through. And beloved, we need to learn that God will give us strength, beloved. We need to endure hardship. Not something we're used to doing in the West, but we need to understand that God has placed things in our lives so that we can go through them. Sometimes we're instantly healed. Other times we're not. Other times we lay down. It's important for us to endure the hardships, beloved. We continually pray for healing. Now, 2 Timothy 4, or 2, 4 through 10. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Very important. The hardworking farmer must, now we're into a farmer, soldier, athlete, now farmer. The hardworking farmer must first, must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, Paul says, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Oh, my beloved, I love that one. The word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may or they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, Paul had a big picture, seeing a big thing. Listen, the word of God is not in chains. It is not limited by anything. Wherever we are and where, whatever we do, we go forward because of God, not us. I don't live my life for me. I live my life for him. I live my life for Jesus Christ, beloved. And as we begin to think that through, and as we begin to understand how that affects us in our job, how that affects us in our play, how that affects us in our family, that changes everything, doesn't it? Because that doesn't mean we would react the way we did. We need to live with gentleness and with hardship, and we need to understand that. We need to be understand that there are some people who are healed. Praise God by the power of God. But beloved, our life reflects who we are. And as we change ourselves more like God, our life becomes a reflection of that change. And let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ takes our spirit from our body, that will be the time when we will see our crown, the greatest glory. And that's the crown we'll throw at his feet. We want something of substance to give to the great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So beloved, let us pay attention to how we live and how we take the Lord in our life every single day. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
today we are continuing our look at the ancient city of Ephesus. We're looking at it from a historical and archaeological and a biblical perspective. So this is the city where Paul spent two years of you know, his life trying to establish and grow the Ephesian church. And he ends up leaving Timothy, his trusted associate, his younger and trusted associate, in Ephesus to continue on that mission of growing and establishing that Ephesian church. So today, let's look at some of its history and archaeology and see what we can learn. The first century Christians that lived in the city of Ephesus are referred to as the Church of Ephesus, and it is to them that the book of Ephesians was originally written. They also appear in the third chapter of the book of Revelation, believed by many to have been written by John the Apostle, who spent his later years living in Ephesus. In the first century AD, Ephesus was the largest city in the Roman province of Asia, even though it was not the capital of that province. It was a port city with a harbor at the mouth of the Keister River. Today, due to the silting of the river, the ruins of ancient Ephesus are around six miles from the path of the river. But originally, the harbor served as an anchor point for an extravagant road that led through the city to an extravagant theater. The road, called the Arcadian Way, was 105 feet wide and was lined on either side by rows of columns 50 feet deep that opened up to public baths and buildings. The theater at the end of the Arcadian Way is estimated to have seated 25,000 people at a time. Yet this is still not what Ephesus was most famous for. It housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, an all-granite temple to Artemis, also called Diana. This temple had been rebuilt after a fire in 356 BC, and it boasted a structure of 127, 200 feet tall granite pillars and a lavish idol statue of the Greek goddess. The economic influences of this famous temple are seen clearly in the book of Acts, chapter 19, when Paul, converting many to Christianity and away from this idol worship, is the cause of a riot. Paul spent around three years in Ephesus before leaving his protege Timothy there to continue strengthening the Christians. And according to Christian tradition, the Apostle John and Mary, Jesus' mother, also lived in Ephesus, attested to by churches built in their memories, Mary's in the 4th century AD and one in John's memory in the 6th century. So this segment will conclude our study on Ephesus for this year. You know, Ephesus is just such a huge topic. It's one of the most excavated cities in the ancient world. It's definitely the most excavated city in uh, the nation of Turkey today. Uh, so much archaeological attention has been focused on it. And there is a diverse body of materials that is applicable to biblical studies simply because of how much Ephesus is mentioned. You know, in the Bible, I, I talk on yesterday's program about how there are three books of the Bible that were directly written to Christians living in Ephesus. Of course, we have Ephesians, but then First and Second Timothy as well. While it was addressed to Timothy, it was because of his post in Ephesus, and it was also to be read to the Ephesian church as well. So lots of cool things there. You know, Ephesus has some of the most, the finest artifacts in the world. And uh, I, I, you know, you look, you look at it, and when you walk down the main road, You've got gods on either side of the road. And I've often wondered what it would be like to know the second commandment. 
thou shalt not make idols before me and all that, walking down in the midst of the idols. Mm -hmm. The the difference there, uh, it would be fascinating. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that, Corey. That's excellent, right? Yeah, well, today my focus is on both 1 Corinthians 9.25 and 2 Timothy 2.5. And taking these passages together, we see how Paul compares a Christian spiritual journey to that of an athlete competing to win the prize. And Paul's point is well taken. We should have the same dedication to our spiritual race as an Olympic runner has to his, so that we too may win the prize. But unlike an Olympian's crown, which will pass away, the Christian's crown is eternal. And with that being said, let's dig into the text and culture a little bit more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, the Apostle Paul compares a Christian spiritual walk or race to that of a runner. And he says to the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The apostle here is almost certainly alluding to the ancient games of the Greeks, of which there were four. The two most celebrated of these, however, were the Olympic and the Isthmian, of which the Olympic took precedence. Interestingly, it was Corinth that hosted the Isthmian Games every two years, and it occurred at least once during Paul's stay. Thus, to make his point to these Corinthian believers, Paul used imagery that as residents of Corinth, they would have understood very well. As they full well knew, runners who wanted to compete in these games had to go into very strict training and had to exercise great self-control as they trained. As a matter of fact, athletes who competed in the games in Olympia had to swear an oath confirming that they had abstained from wine, meat, and sexual intercourse in the previous 10 months. The first century Greek philosopher Epictetus beautifully illustrates the rigors of such training. Would you be a victor in the Olympic Games, he asked. So in good truth would I, for it is a glorious thing. But pray consider what must go before and what may follow, and so proceed to the attempt. You must then live by rule, eat what will be disagreeable, refrain from delicacies. You must oblige yourself to constant exercises at the appointed hour in heat and cold. You must abstain from wine and cold liquors. In a word, you must be as submissive to all the directions of your master as to those of a physician. This is the level of commitment that Paul expects both of himself and other Christians in their spiritual race, in order that we too may receive the victor's crown, which will be of much greater glory than the Greek crowns, which were nothing more than chaplets of leaves. Indeed, the Olympic crown was made of the leaves of the wild olive, while the Isthmian crown was made of pine or withered celery. Since the earliest of times, such chaplets were bestowed upon great conquerors of the battlefield. Thus the psalmist declares of the triumphant Messiah in Psalm 132.18, Upon himself shall his crown flourish. The idea of a crown flourishing is very expressive when spoken of a leafy chaplet. Actually, the crown of thorns which was placed on the Savior's head was a mockery of these wreaths of triumph, as well as of the golden crowns of kings. Nevertheless, Paul's point is that just as an Olympian runs with the purpose of winning the prize, which is perishable, we also need to run with the goal of winning the heavenly crown, which is imperishable. 
You know, Paul's message is a real challenge for a lot of us, isn't it? Oftentimes we want to get saved and then just sit back and relax and maybe even go on sinning and living the way that we want to live. But Paul exhorts us to commit wholeheartedly to the faith, denying ourselves things that would hurt that cause, just as an Olympian commits wholeheartedly to winning the gold, even if it means subjecting him or herself to intense and unpleasant training. And if an Olympian disciplines him or herself in order to win an award which will pass away, how much more should we discipline ourselves in order that we may win an award that will never pass away? Very important lessons from the Apostle Paul. It's interesting to hear about the crown and all of that because the comparison of the sports and the military and all of that. But I've always taken that as a sort of a a sample, if you would, but I never took the crown seriously until my grandfather passed away. When he passed away, my father was with him and my, my dad called me and he was on the phone and he said, son, have you ever seen your crown? I said, what, what? And my grandfather was with my dad and it struck my dad too. And as he passed, he had black lung because he was in the mines when he was a young boy and worked in the mines in Missouri. But when he was deceasing, he was failing. He, be, he smiled as through his hard breathing and he said, son, have you seen your crown? And uh, my dad said, what? He said, have you seen your crown? Hmm. And he said, I didn't know he was talking about it. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, son, it's the crown for our lives that we're going to throw at the feet of Jesus. I see my crown. And that struck me as a meaningful thing to remember. God gives us things to speak to people. And it, it's a mention in, of course, Revelation that we do that. But the crown our crown for the how we live and we will throw it at the feet of Jesus. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. That's amazing. And we'll throw it at the feet of Jesus because we recognize that we don't deserve it, that nothing that we can do here, we're just fallible. We're just human. We can't be perfect. We can't, no matter how much I work, no matter how much I spread the gospel, I can't earn my salvation. I can't do that. It's Christ's righteousness being applied to my life. So no matter what reward I get or crown or anything, it's going back to where it belongs because I know I didn't do anything worthy of entering heaven, anything worthy of granting eternal life. I know that I can't do that. That's the prerequisite understanding of Christianity. And it just deepens the more, uh, the longer that you're in, in, you know, a relationship with God, the more you realize, wow, I don't deserve that. And it's such an amazing gift. Very good. And that's exactly the grace that I was talking about, that God's grace that, that Paul writes here to Timothy in, in chapter two, the very first verse, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That grace is in Christ Jesus. And we don't deserve that grace. And yet God extends that to us. And then in turn also wants us to extend that to others. And that's something that we can't do in of ourselves, not for very long, not for uh, uh, to be very successful in ourselves. We can't 
possibly do that. But that is something that we learn. And Corey, as you mentioned, the longer that we're in relationship with God, the more we see how that his amazing grace is extended to us, even and especially when we don't deserve it. That's what grace is. And and Ryan, your segment talking about um, being a good soldier and and um, uh, somebody who would be um, an athlete uh, going for that crown, going for that gold medal um, and, and a soldier, you know, when you, when you enlist in the army, there's boot camp and it's tough. When you go to boot camp, they're trying to see who is going to be be actually well enough to be strong enough to be faithful enough to stay in the army and so boot camp is not fun and many i've heard you know stories many times a lot of men and women don't make it through boot camp they 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 decide that they they can't live that life but paul encourages him um let's see here uh he says to timothy consider what i say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. He always encourages Timothy to go to the Lord, to have that relationship with God, to follow Christ, and to stand firm. I love Paul's declaration of where he stands and what his belief is in verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's the verse I was trying to find beforehand when he's sharing with Timothy how he needs to live his life. He says, you therefore must endure hardship or must share in this hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And really that is what we are. Christ is our commander. Our fight is not flesh and blood, as, as Ephesians tells us. It's not fighting against one another. It's fighting a spiritual battle. You know, God is real. Satan is real. Satan is not a God. He's a fallen angel, and he has already been defeated. But that battle is for your soul and my soul to pull us away from God. That's what the enemy or Satan, that's what he does. That's why our focus needs to be on things above. We need to make room for Christ in our life every day, reading his word, praying, and getting to know and have a relationship with that living God in our lives. Paul the Apostle teaches us that it's important to pray, and we do that every day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30. That's Eastern Time or New York Time. Join us at Bible Discovery TV, Facebook, or YouTube, and you can be prayed for, and we'll pray for you. Today, we need to pray. Lord, help me to learn from the Scriptures through the help of your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, not what it says only, but what it means. In Jesus' name, amen.